Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Azarin the Language Nerd here. I'm the owner of the Calgary Language Nerds and welcome to today's podcast episode. There are two topics that I would like to talk that I would like to discuss today. The first one is a practical piece of advice that you can use to find more time to practice or learn whatever language you would like to practice or learn. In fact, this is a piece of advice you can use to find more time for anything that you want to find time to do. The second part of this podcast is going to be about a topic that I've never spoken about before. I suspect that the, that the second half of the podcast might even be a little bit muddled and not fully clear because I'm not clear on my opinion on the topic whatsoever. So we're going to see how that second half of the podcast plays out. I also have a very limited amount of time for this podcast. So where I would typically sit down, record the podcast once, stop recording, re-record, backtrack, think about things, where I would typically do something like that today, I'm just recording once, what comes out is what comes out, and I'm going to upload it. So we'll see where this goes. Now, the... The piece of advice I want to start with is the advice to find more time to practice a language or really find time to do anything that you want to do that maybe you're not able to do right now. I mentioned a version of this in yesterday's podcast. Now, a number of years back, I used to go to a nutritionist. One of the first things that this nutritionist had me do was keep a journal it was either for 48 hours, but more likely it was a week, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. He had me keep a journal of every single thing that I did throughout the day. I had to write down the times that I did those activities, and I had to write down what I did. So it might be 8.22 a.m. to 8.39 a.m., take a shower. 8.39 a.m. to 8.40 9 a.m., get dressed. 8.49 a.m. to 9.01 a.m., eat a quick breakfast, which was two pieces of toast. And I wrote down everything that I did in minute amount of detail. He wanted to know things like precisely what are you eating? Exactly when do you go to the bathroom? Did you poo or did you pee? What did your poo look like? What was your pee like? And like he wanted minute detail of everything. How did you feel here? How did you feel? Like it was in extreme detail, maybe more detail than you would even need just for trying to find time for learning a language. He was a nutritionist. So there were certain things he wanted to know, like exactly what are you eating? What did your stools look like? What did this look like? What did you feel like here? How did you feel in the morning? He wanted exact every little detail, um, which was helpful for him. And to be honest, very helpful for me. When you do that, when you do this practice, and you only need to do it for a week, because then you'll get a nice look at your life. What this does is it forces you to be introspective. It forces you to become self-aware. And you're going to see how you spend your time. Exactly. Whereas right now, you probably don't know exactly how you use your time and exactly how much time you spend on this activity or that activity. And the moment you start to see that, you're going to find time in your day where you can fit in language study, workout time, whatever it is. You will be able to find that time. 
That's what I did recently. In yesterday's podcast, at the end, I was talking about how I outlined exactly how I want to spend my time every single day, almost to the minute. Personal life, professional life, I really broke it down. That's just a version of this activity, this journaling activity that I shared right now. It's just a different version of it. So I'd highly recommend that if you're serious about finding more time to practice a language, study a language, uh, work out, whatever it is, you want to make more time for something, this might be a great place to start. It's hard work. It's a bit of a pain because you're writing down every little thing you're doing for a week. But boy, at least for me, I found it to be very helpful. Of course, the big elephant in the room when I say this is you might not actually want to make a change. My mom is really funny. She's someone who I will tell her some of the things that, or sometimes she'll see a piece of advice that I shared on Instagram or YouTube or whatever platform. She'll see it. And then she'll like comment and she'll tell me something like, Azrin, that's all fine and dandy, but I don't think people are going to do that. And I'll say, what do you mean? She'll say, well, you gave a piece of advice to do X, Y, Z, but then they're going to have to change. And I was like, I'm always like, yeah, they'll have to change. She's like, people don't want to change. I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) So advice is very practical, of course, and very helpful. But advice has to be followed. I'm looking at myself in the mirror saying that, too, because sometimes I hear advice, just like everyone. And you know it's good advice. And you know you should do it. But you don't really do it. (laughs) But anyway, that's a conversation for another day. Moving on to the second half of the podcast, I only think this is going to be about 10 to 15 minutes, so probably another five, five-ish minutes is how much longer this podcast will go. That's the plan. Uh, I want to share a thought that I've had recently that I've never, I haven't, I have never tried to articulate it. The closest I can get to articulating it right now is I think that a lot of people, perhaps myself included, I haven't figured it out yet, but I think that a lot of people right now are getting soft. Now, what does it mean to get soft? That's what I'm trying to figure out. My hope is by talking this out with you guys through this microphone, my hope is that I can start to work work out what I mean by soft. I think when you look at different human values, things that people value. Soft, maybe we can call them even soft skills, maybe. We can call them, for example, empathy, kindness, compassion, ambition, drive, perseverance, generosity. These are all, I think it's safe to say that these are all values. And many of them, I think, will also transfer into soft skills. And I have a feeling right now, just a feeling. I don't know if it's true. I haven't done an in-depth analysis of this, but I have a feeling that I want to explore further. And the feeling is that right now the pendulum has swung very far to the side of valuing softer, soft skills. Now, softer, soft skills are not worse than harder, soft skills. I think they're equally valuable. But right now we have conversations. A lot of people have conversations and emphasize the softer soft skills more than the harder soft skills. The emphasis is on softer 
values more than harder values. When I say hard value, by the way, I don't mean hard in the sense of difficult. That's not what I mean. I mean hard in a sense that in a sense that I don't even know how to explain in words. Let me explain through examples. I would call kindness a soft, soft skill, like a softer, soft skill. I would call ambition a harder, soft skill. I would call accountability a harder, soft skill. And I would call perhaps... What's the opposite of accountability? Not the opposite. Maybe something like empathy, empathy, or adapting to one's needs, whatever, the, if there's a word for that, having the, the emotional ability to, to detect what someone needs and adapting to that. I would call that more of a softer, soft skill. Here's a real life example. In a, I've seen certain schools, for instance, where children have different learning needs. There's different ways they learn. There's different things that would be helpful for them. And so in a school, they might have the quiet corner. They might have the, what do they call it? I've seen it in a couple schools, quiet corners. There's a word for it. Let's call it the quiet corner. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, you can go to the quiet corner. There's a soft place to sit. There's, uh, there's maybe some books you can read and calm down and... You know, so that's an example of understanding that people have a need. Maybe the need is, oh, they're feeling anxious. Well, let's try and bring that anxiety down. So you're recognizing something and you're accommodating, you're accommodating for that person. The flip side of that same coin would be, for example, well, hey, you're feeling anxious. I'm not going to create a quiet corner for you. I need you and I can help you, but I need you to figure out how to bring your anxiety back down through behaviors. And I can help you with that. Let me help you learn how to self-regulate your anxiety back down. That would perhaps be a harder soft skill. Both are soft skills. One soft skill is recognizing how someone's feeling and accommodating for it. The other one is recognizing how someone's feeling and saying, hey, let me teach you how to self-regulate that so you can feel better. And in both situations, it probably helps the person feel better, I think. Maybe one is more effective in certain scenarios, and maybe the other is more effective in certain scenarios. Hopefully these examples have demonstrated what I mean by a harder soft skill and a softer soft skill. Again, or maybe values is the right word. Harder values, quote-unquote, and softer values, quote-unquote. I think both have equal value, personally. I think. I haven't thought very deeply about it, but it's very, very likely that both have a place and both are very important. And I would say maybe for a year, maybe a little longer, in the back of my mind, I've had this debate or in the back of my mind, I've been thinking about this topic because nowadays the feeling I get, again, I could be wrong about everything I'm saying. I've never said all this out loud and try to articulate myself. So there's holes in my arguments, I'm sure. I want to preface that with this, because often I'll think things through before I say them. Not always, but often I will. This is a time where I haven't really thought it through. I'm just speaking. But the feeling I get, based on just my personal observations, is we are, we are 
overemphasizing the softer values and the softer soft skills, and we are underemphasizing the harder values and the harder soft skills. That's an observation I have. You know, I've seen, I'm trying to think of a good example. I have seen kids, for instance, where in my, from my limited experience with that child or with these children, I can think of a few in my mind, with the limited experience that I've had with them, I feel that they are being, what's the word? I feel that adults around them, teachers, parents, they're seeing the child have certain learning needs. They're seeing the child struggle with X, Y, Z. They're seeing the child get sad over this or get stressed over that. And what they do is they try to remove the thing that is causing the stress or the sadness or the anxiety. They try to remove that as much as possible. So they're clearing, they're clearing the path of difficulties for this child to make them feel better, make them feel more positive emotion, happy, relaxed, calm, whatever it is, right? <clears throat> and I don't know if I fully agree. I don't think I agree with that. I haven't fully thought this out, so I might be so woefully wrong. But my initial knee-jerk reaction as of right now is we're doing that too much. Too much of that is happening. Too much. Instead, what should be done, I think, and I could be wrong, I'm speaking tentatively, because again, I haven't thought this through in, in as deep of a way as I typically would, but this is my starting point. I'm doing this as a starting point. I'm going to keep saying that, because I could be really wrong, so I want to preface all this. But my initial thinking is that what should be done instead is using the example of the child, although it happens for adults too, using the example of the child, what should be done instead is the child should be taught, hey, this is a stressful situation you are handling, that you're facing rather. Let's teach you how to live, how to make yourself better so that situation doesn't stress you anymore. That makes kids stronger. Whereas removing the obstacle does not make the child stronger. I think it shows confidence. As a general whole, there are exceptions. I think it shows confidence in the child to say, yes, this is difficult, but I believe you can overcome this. I can help you too. And the teacher can help this person. We can help, but you can do it. We believe that you can do it. There's something powerful about that message, man. Something really powerful about that, I think. Growing up, I've shared this story. I was told that I had a learning disability when I was in the third grade, maybe fourth grade. I think it was third grade, though. And then when I was in the eighth grade, they changed their mind. But for five years, I actually believed I had a learning disability. My brain had a learning disability. I believe that. I was told that by a psychologist. My report card in certain ways definitely reflected that. <laughs> there were certain skills I could not do very well, so it seemed to make pretty good, good sense to me. And the way my mom handled that was brilliantly. She did a great job of handling that. So she basically said, okay, well, 
you've got this learning disability, you still need to do the best that you can do. And the best that you can do implies you having to push yourself. And so I was pushed and I had to do the best that I could do. My mom didn't do this perfectly. We, she would lose her temper sometimes. We'd have arguments. We, sometimes she would do too much of the job for me, the homework or something. Too much would be done by her. But I'd be an eight-year-old that would stay up until 10, 10, 11 p.m. doing homework sometimes because the job had to get done to the best of my ability at the time. My mom did that really, really well. And hell, maybe I maybe when I did the psychology test, the IQ test or whatever they did, I don't even remember. But when I did the test and they found that I was learning disabled, maybe I actually was right on the borderline. And then when they retested me because of the hard work my mom did in the eighth grade, when they retested me, because I was getting all these extra supports and the teachers were like, why is Azarin getting these extra supports? I don't think he needs this. Why does he get to do that? Why does he doing that? Like, and even me, I was like, I don't know why I need all this stuff. They're like, do you need it? I was like, I don't think so. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so they retested me and they found I didn't have the learning disability. So maybe when I was in the third grade, I was borderline learning disabled, right on the cusp, like really low in certain areas. But by the time I was in the eighth grade, I'd through the hard work of my mom and I guess me, but more my mom, because she's the one who made me do it. Maybe that changed and I got better. Who knows? Who the heck knows? My mom's a school teacher and uh, she gets these, she always, well, she always gets the worst behavior children. She gets the ones that Doctors want to medicate. Uh, parents want to medicate. Everyone says they're like, what's wrong? And oh my God, like, well, we don't know what to do with them. They're wild. They hit kids. They knock over things. They don't listen. They scream. They're... She gets them every year. She's been a teacher for over 20 years now. These are the kids that she gets. She kind of takes them on purpose, but people also know she handles them well. And what happens is, is through tough my mom is more manly than womanly. <laughs> and that could be why I grew up in a single family household without a father and I don't feel like I missed anything out. Because my mom is, she might actually be able to do two roles because she's very, has much more manly traits or more traditionally manly traits, I suppose you could say. Um, and she will have this tough love attitude with a lot of her kids, a lot of the students. So... If something is unacceptable, she will tell you that is unacceptable behavior. If someone does something in her classroom and it's un and she thinks it's unacceptable behavior, it is unacceptable behavior. You can't do that. And we need to figure out what needs to happen. Like how we need to fix, she'll tell the kids, like we need to figure out how that behavior doesn't happen. And so she teaches them to regulate, self-regulate their behavior. So if they have a tendency to hit kids she's like you can't do that you we need to learn you need to learn how to stop and i'll help you but that has to stop or child can't write and doesn't print she says no you are capable of doing this okay fine you have this learning disability this problem this that fine okay okay great what's the absolute most you can do because it's definitely more than what you're doing now that's that's the answer she finds, she'll say, okay, fine, you have XYZ 
learning difficulties, whatever it is. But what you're doing now is not the best you can do. You have more potential in you that you haven't realized yet. Let's realize that potential. So some of the, the children that, whether they struggle academically, whether it's usually she gets behavior, usually that's what she gets, um, it gets way better. And almost any, when, when people want to medicate kids, the six-year-old, eight-year-old, seven-year-olds, when people want to medicate them, almost always over the past 20 years or more, I would probably say 97% of the time, maybe, maybe more, when they go through my mom's class, they don't need to be medicated. They learn to, what, if it's ADHD, they learn to focus. If it's whatever it is that they want to be medicated for, they learn to do it themselves. They learn through behavior. And so maybe I'm just biased because I, I see with my mom, she has that harder edge with kids. And she's still, she's still not mean per se, but she has expectations that get set and have to be held. And she'll look at where you're at and she'll say, listen, ooh, this is maybe not a child. Child A can't behave and act and perform exactly like child B. Maybe not. Maybe there's, there's different people. But child A can be a way better version of child A than he or she is now. And child A has these obstacles that we should not try to remove. We should teach the child to overcome as many of those obstacles as the child can. And maybe there are some obstacles the child actually cannot overcome anymore. But it's definitely not removing all the obstacles. And the feeling I have now is we're trying to remove all or too many of the obstacles. The child, and again, I keep using children examples, but this applies to adults too. It's not just children. I just keep, I just happen to pick the child example. But we see a child who uh, uh, needs a fidget toy. It's like, well, maybe. But most of the people that have fidget toys don't need them. They don't need them. Probably not. Most of the kids that have a, a thing to sit on that's wiggly because they need to move probably don't need it. Most of the... And boy, this happens in adults too. Like, now we're really treading into territory I haven't tried to articulate, so let's see how this goes. Certain adults get offended way too quickly. I'm not sure if that's the same topic. There's something there that there's, there's a connection I'm seeing. I think that, how do I say this? I think when all obstacles are removed as a child or when you're young and society conforms to you instead of you conforming to society. And by the way, there should be a balance between the two. Prob there should be. But when it's 90, when it should be 50-50 or 60-40, and we're in a 90-10 land, 90% society conforms to you, 10% you conform to society, which is too much. It's too much on 90. It should not be 90% society conforms to you. It's not how things work. I could be wrong. Could be very wrong. I need to really think about this more deeply. But initial observation is, if it's 90-10, and you grew up that way, when you're an adult, you, you expect things to continue conforming to you when they don't conform to you. You are in situations where it doesn't conform to you. 
you have a, a you're with a significant other and they don't conform to you the exact level that you're used to through school. You get a job and they don't conform to you the way that you wanted to be conformed to that you were because that's how you grew up. And maybe I'm wrong. Hell, I don't know. Maybe it should be that way. Maybe everyone should conform to everyone. Like, I don't know. I haven't thought enough about it deeply. I could be super wrong about all this. But, but at least my initial observation is I think we're too far on the softer. We're too far on the soft values and we're not putting attention on the hard values i don't think we're putting enough attention on them nowadays i could be so wrong about all that i could be historically wrong we'll find out but i want that's i'm happy i talked about that it's given me an initial some initial thoughts to now journal and meditate and read about and think through now i've got the juices going so thank you for listening and giving me a, a place to go and share these and get these out of my head and start the thinking process if you have any thoughts on this, feel free to send me a message. I'm more than happy to hear because I could be so woeful. I, here's my thought process. I'm probably wrong on a percentage of what I just said, and I'm probably right in a certain way too. That's probably what it is. When you Here's a fun little fact, and I'll wrap up because I actually have to go. <laughs> God, I had to leave like eight minutes ago. Um, More than that. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, like when I, when me and a lot of people, not just me, but when you deeply think through a topic, you look at both sides, you read research, you listen to other perspectives, you talk to people, you hear what they have to say, you adjust your thinking, and you do that for a long time. When you speak on the topic, like if I, when I talk about language learning, I'm probably like 90% right and 10% wrong. Like most of what I share is pretty damn good, but there's still little holes in there. There's a couple holes like, oh, I didn't, I didn't articulate that clearly. Oh, right. That advice is right. But that advice is wrong for this person. Yeah, I should have thought of that. You're always tweaking. You're always at 90% when you know the subject well. When you share thoughts like I just shared, which I haven't thought through, it's probably more like Swiss cheese. There's some cheese in there, which is good, but there's some pretty damn big holes in the cheese that are not quite right. But there's something still there that's cheese. I'm on the right path, at least. I've got a couple things in there that are not completely wrong. Hopefully. <laughs> so anyway, um, thanks for listening. I appreciate that. This was not a very languagey focused episode, but it is what it is. It's interesting, I think. And we started on a language note, so I feel good about that, at least. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and we'll, uh, we'll chat soon. Bye-bye.